Our Lord, we beg of you that you would send the Holy Spirit to us this morning and help us to delight in your word and not neglect it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue again our series in the book of Philippians and we're in Philippians chapter 2, which has been a chapter which has encouraged uh, the people of God and particularly the church in Philippi by the Apostle Paul to be unified. The idea of unity started back at the end of chapter 1, and then Paul has been giving lots of encouragements as to how to be unified through being humble. And now he holds up an example to the church of someone who is humble and encourages unity within the church, who loves the church and wants to see the church prosper. Who is the first person that he holds up, that the Apostle Paul holds up to the people in Philippi? Well, it's Timothy. Timothy, in verse 19, is mentioned, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. He's then going to speak about this Timothy, who the people in Philippi actually know. Uh, We may struggle to remember who is Timothy, and so it'd be good for us to remind ourselves by turning to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, turn with me now, page 1096, so you can try and refresh your memory as to exactly who this Timothy is is that the Apostle Paul is recommending to the church in Philippi. Timothy, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, reading from verse 1, page 1096, 1096, if you have a church Bible. Chapter 16, verse 1 of Acts, it says, He, that is Paul, came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So we see Timothy being met by the Apostle Paul for the first time here. Uh, The brothers recommend him to the Apostle Paul, and Paul decides to take him on his journeys. Uh, And Timothy therefore sees the churches being strengthened as Paul ministers amongst them. He would have heard Paul preach many times. And we even see that he accompanies Paul to uh, Philippi and to the establishment of the church that this letter is written to, Philippians. Uh, If you look down with me at verse 11, we see verse 11 from Troas, we put out to sea. That's we as including Timothy amongst them. Uh, We put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And we've read this before as we've been studying Philippians together and we see what happened in the church in Philippi with the conversion of of the Philippian jailer and Timothy would have seen all this. And, of course, he would have accompanied Paul and and other journey, uh, the rest of the journeys that uh, the Apostle Paul had in the book of Acts. Uh, Many of those journeys, Timothy was along for the ride, so to speak. And he would have been with Paul outside of the book of Acts as well. Uh, He is with Paul, obviously, as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He is sending uh, Timothy to them because he is with him. And so he's seen Paul in his imprisonments. He's seen Paul in his worst experiences. And we understand, of course, from the rest of the New Testament, and particularly the two letters that were written to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, which may be found in your Bibles as well, uh, that he was a pastor himself, that he ministered to the people of God. And so he is held up as an example of humility that promotes unity here in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 19, where 
the Apostle Paul says that he's going to send Timothy. And why is he sending Timothy? Why is he such a good example to them? Well, we read in verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Here's someone who is interested in the welfare of the church in Philippi. And Paul knows that he will serve well in going to the church in Philippi to encourage them, but also to bring a report back to Paul as to how the church in Philippi is going. He knows that he will do so because he has seen Timothy prove himself as someone who loves the people of God. Verse 22, verse 22 of chapter 2 of Philippians, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul says that Timothy has behaved like a son to him and he has served in the work of the gospel. And this has proven that Timothy is a reliable Christian, that he is someone that he can have confidence in to go and to minister to the people in Philippi and to look out for their welfare. Now, why do we need such an example? Why is he held up here? I mean, the Apostle Paul is, of course, uh, doing some administration work in sending the, uh, Timothy to the church in Philippi, but he's also putting him here, and he puts another person next week, we'll look at this person in verse 25, Epaphroditus. I think he mentions both these people at this point because he wants them to see that these are exemplary people, that these are people who do the things that have been spoken of in the rest of chapter 2. Uh, these are the people who are encouraging unity. Why do we need these examples? Well, because we recognise that not everybody is interested in the welfare of others. It says in verse 20 that the Apostle Paul says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Timothy is held up as an example of someone who takes a genuine interest in the welfare of others. And we need this example because we know that not all people are interested, genuinely interested, in the welfare of others. Some people are not interested at all in the welfare of others. They're only interested in themselves. And we see that in the Battle of Jericho. We had a bit of a reading from Joshua there. Uh, Achan is the person who has sinned against the Lord and has taken selfishly for himself at the expense of the rest of the community of Israel. You can read the rest of the chapter this afternoon and find out a bit more about Achan. Uh, but here's just one example in the history of mankind of someone who is not at all interested in others, but is interested only in himself and what he can get. And then we understand that there are people who seem to be interested in the welfare of others, but it's not a genuine interest. Some people are just not interested at all. They don't show any interest in other people. Then there are people who seem to show interest, but it's not a genuine interest. What am I speaking about? Well, I'm speaking about people who always have an ulterior motive as to why they're interested in you, why they're being kind to you. There's always some reason behind it, some advantage that they're looking to receive as they show an interest in you and your welfare. These are the people who may have read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And so that is what they're about. They're trying to win friends and influence people for their own agenda. Whereas the Apostle Paul is holding up Timothy here as someone who has a genuine interest in the welfare of others. But why do we need an example of Timothy? Why does the church in Philippi need an example of someone who takes a genuine interest in the welfare of others? Well, it's because there are people in the church who also struggle to have a genuine interest in the welfare of others, including church pastors. How do we know? Well, we often see pastors who are 
only concerned for their own welfare ultimately. They may appear to have an interest in the welfare of others, but realistically they're only interested in their own financial gain or their own pride being uh, uh, exalted and maybe their status going up in the world. That is why they show an interest in others. It's not a genuine interest. It's interesting. I was helping someone uh, uh, a little while ago and uh, helping them in a, a fairly large way. And when they got to me and they were sitting down with me and I'd helped this person in a number of ways already with other visits, and this was uh, one of the final visits that I was having about the matter and needing to help the person, and the person confessed to me, sitting there with me, and said, on the way here, I was really struggling to dismiss the thought, to dismiss the question in my mind of, what is Joel's angle in helping me? What is Joel's angle in all of this? What is he going to get out of helping me? Why would someone like this help me where it seems like there's no possible benefit for him? There was this struggle going on because all his life he has experienced that someone's always getting something back when they, when they help this person. And it's something that is difficult to dismiss, even of church pastors, because we know that there are pastors who are only interested in what they can get, even as they show an interest in the welfare of others. And as people in the pews that also struggle with this as well, it's not just pastors. People in the pews struggle to show a genuine interest in the welfare of others. And this has been happening all through the history of the people of God. And an example of this is given in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. Turn with me now. We're going to read a large chunk from Ezekiel chapter 34, which I think illustrates what the Apostle Paul is speaking about when he talks about not everyone is interested in the welfare of others. Ezekiel 34, found on page 854, where we see both shepherds, pastors, and also sheep, people in the church, not being interested in the welfare of others, not having a genuine interest in the welfare of others. Ezekiel 34, page 854, 854, Ezekiel 34, and we'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 24, so a fairly large chunk. Ezekiel 34, reading from verse 1, which I think gives a great illustration of people who lack genuine interest in the welfare of others. Ezekiel 34, reading from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. 
So you hear these self-interested shepherds and the judgment of God falling upon them. Then in verse 11, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. So we see here the Lord himself taking over the role of shepherding the people of God and looking after them. But what else does he have to say in verse 16? I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, see, he's turned just not to uh, speaking to the shepherds, but also to the flock itself. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? This is what the, therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Here we see it's not just the shepherds who are in trouble, but it's the sheep who are in trouble as well, those that have been butting against the other sheep, that have been mudding up the water for others, trampling down the pastures so that others cannot feed. And so it is not just the shepherds that are self-interested. It is the people as well who have been self-interested in the time of Ezekiel. And that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to as well. In the time of the Church of Philippi, he recognises that someone like Timothy is very valuable, someone who takes a genuine interest in the welfare of others. So how can we be like Timothy? How can we be like Paul? Paul obviously takes a genuine interest in the welfare of the church in Philippi. He's giving up Timothy, who he loves dearly, to go and to minister to the church in Philippi. It'd be lovely to keep Timothy to himself. But he is genuinely concerned for the people in Philippi, and so he sends Timothy. How do we become people who get to know the people of God? take a genuine interest in them, and then a genuine interest in their welfare, making sure that they are going okay, and even helping them as we find out that they are struggling in some way. How can we be people who do not buy more toilet paper than we need during a pandemic? How do we become those kinds of people who do not trample down everything else and only show an interest in what we can get? Well, how did the Apostle Paul, how did Timothy have such a wonderful concern, a genuine interest for the sheep? 
Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 21. Verse 21 of Philippians chapter 2. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. How did Timothy have a genuine interest for the people of God? Well, he had a genuine interest, firstly, for the interests of Christ. He loved Christ and therefore he loved the people of God. We see back in Ezekiel chapter 34 that the Christ is promised there, that there would be this good shepherd who would come and he would look after the sheep. And so how does having this good shepherd, how does looking to the interests of Christ lead to us looking to the interests of others and particularly the people of God as Timothy had such an interest in the people of God at Philippi? Well, we see the process happen all the time. When we care about someone and we look at their interests, then we have a desire to satisfy their interests. And I love my wife, and part of my love for my wife is being interested in her interests and therefore seeking to satisfy those interests. And it's the same with Christ Jesus. As we look to his interests then we want to satisfy those interests. We want to have the same interests as well. And what is Christ interested in? Well, he's interested in many things. He's interested, of course, in the glory of God, but he is interested in his people's welfare. And we see that back in Ezekiel chapter 34, this shepherd who would look after the sheep. He wanted to care for them and make sure that they were okay. He had a genuine interest in their welfare. And while Jesus was on earth, while the good shepherd was amongst his people physically, he showed a genuine interest in their welfare, for their present physical welfare, but they're also their present spiritual welfare. We just look at a passage like Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, showing an interest in spiritual welfare of people, including preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had a genuine interest in the welfare of his people, spiritual welfare, but also physical welfare. As he went around from village to village, he had genuine compassion for them. As a shepherd has compassion for his sheep. But what other welfare was Jesus genuinely interested in for his sheep? Well, it's their eternal, physical and spiritual welfare as well. Of course, he preached and taught how to live in this world. He also healed their diseases, nourished their hungry stomachs. But we also read in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus came as one who was concerned for the eternal well-being of his people. That is what is meant by this ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom so that his people could be redeemed from the grave, could be redeemed from sin, and could have eternal life, eternal physical life, eternal spiritual life in paradise. And so if we follow Christ's interests, if we are interested in what Christ is interested in, what happens? Well, of course, we too will be interested in the welfare of others. What will we do? We'll want to get to know others. 
We will want to ask them questions about how they're going and really mean it, not just say, how are you, and walk past, but how are you? We will show a genuine interest. And when we learn of their needs, we will try and help them. Not for our advantage, but we will be selfless like Christ was selfless and try and help them with whatever is going on in their life that they need help with. Whereas if we only think of ourselves, if you think only of yourself and go around trampling and mudding up what belongs to others and taking advantage, what will happen to you? Well, God will judge you and destroy you. That is what was promised in Ezekiel chapter 34 to the shepherds and pastors in verse 10 of Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. But it's not just the shepherds who are going to be judged and destroyed. We also read sheep, selfish sheep will be judged similarly. Verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now, why would God be concerned to judge and destroy those who are self-interested? Well, their lack of concern for the people of God, their lack of concern for people outside the church as well, indicates a deeper problem, a lack of concern for Christ, a lack of concern for Christ. That's what we saw in, in verse 21 of Philippians chapter 2. For everyone who looks, at, looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If you look out for the interests of Jesus Christ, what will happen? You'll look out for the interests of others. And so if you're not looking out for the interests of others, if you're not concerned for people's welfare, then it indicates a lack of concern for Christ. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, but keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You claim to have faith in Christ. But if you only look to your interests, the word of God is clear. You don't have saving faith in Christ. And so all of us should be asking ourselves, am I a Timothy? Am I a Timothy? Do I take a genuine interest in the welfare of others? Or do I clothe and feed myself at the expense of others and take no care for them? Do I trample and muddy the lives of others and shove and butt against them, hurting others spiritually, hurting others physically? Could it be that I look only to my own interests and not the interests of Christ? And so may I not have saving faith after all. And God one day will judge me with justice and destroy me as one who rejected him and therefore rejected the welfare of humanity. If there is any possibility that you are not a Timothy, that you do not take a genuine interest in others, then my 
encouragement for you this morning is not simply, well, you better take a genuine interest in the welfare of others. My encouragement to you this morning, the first thing you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ, is look to Jesus Christ. Start to love Christ. And as you love the Lord Jesus Christ, as you see the, wealth and the interest that he has taken in your welfare, your welfare now, but your welfare eternally if you trust in him, then you will start being interested in what he is interested in. And what will happen? Well, the Holy Spirit will give you a genuine interest in the welfare of others. And particularly his people, just like we see with the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Timothy. Uh, sorry, not the Apostle Timothy. The Apostle Paul and we see with Timothy, we see their genuine interest in the welfare of others because the Holy Spirit is working them because they love Christ. And what will happen? Well, you will experience the joy of Christ, the joy that Christ felt in helping his people. Jesus had a genuine interest in the welfare of his people and he helped them. And what was one of the reasons that he did it? It was for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus brought much glory to God the Father, God the Spirit, to himself by his work for his people. But he also experienced great joy in doing so. And this is what will happen for us. We will bring glory to God, but we will also experience the joy that Christ experienced in helping God's people. Ironically, by not looking out only for the interests of ourselves, but looking out for the interests of Christ and therefore the interests of others, what do we get? The joyous life that the world seeks. The world thinks that by looking out only for its own interests, they will gain the good life. They will gain joy. If I am selfish and keep everything to me, if I have enough toilet paper and enough money and enough property, I will experience joy. That's what they think. If I look out for my interests, I will have joy. But what do they get? A dead end. They get unhappiness. They get sadness. Often now, but definitely for eternity. But Christians know what? What do they know? They know that whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Christ and for the gospel will save it. As you lose yourself, as you give up your interests for the interests of Christ and his people, you actually save your life. Christian know, Christians know that that old kid's song is true. What's that old kid's song? I couldn't find an author for it. It's J-O-Y, J-O-Y. That must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. J-O-Y, joy. Joy, joy. What must that surely mean? J, Jesus first, Y, yourself last, 
Oh, others in between. Christians know this. Jesus knows this. Jesus is the one who experienced the joy. Himself first, and then others. And we understand this as well. That we, if we put Jesus first and others above ourselves, then we will experience the joy that Jesus experienced. And we will be a Timothy, one who looks out for the interests of Christ rather than the interests of ourselves. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the God of love and kindness, and we thank you for taking a genuine interest in our welfare, so much so that you died in our place so that we could have eternal physical life and eternal spiritual life. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for looking to our own interests rather than yours and for being uninterested in the welfare of others. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to love you more. And so, by the Holy Spirit's strength, to experience the joy of having a genuine interest in the welfare of others, so that we give you glory and honour. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who is convicted that one day they will be destroyed, that their lack of interest in others, their lack of their interest in Christ, demonstrates that they are not one of the people of God. Oh Lord, we pray that they would run to Christ now, and experience the joy of knowing him and the joy of being selfless rather than selfish. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.